with that. Would you open up in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5? Exodus chapter 5. You may know this already, but some people are just plain stubborn. There was a subscriber to the theater arts magazine called, and he called information because he wanted the magazine's phone number. The operator said, sorry, but there is nobody listed by the name of Theodore Arts. The subscriber said, it's not a person. It's a publication. Theater Arts. The operator came over and said, sir, I told you we have no listing for Theodore Arts. Now the subscriber is getting a little frustrated. And so he says, the word is theater. T-H-E-A-T-R-E. There was a pause. And then the operator came back on and says, that's not how you spell Theodore. Well, some people can surely be stubborn. Today we're going to be looking at what we call the poster child for the most stubborn person that we can think of in the Word of God, and that would be Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1, we read that afterwards Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. So Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Pharaoh would not accept the authority of a God he did not worship. And you know what, folks? Neither will the world. The world does not accept the authority of a God they do not worship. We cannot expect them to accept the authority of a God they do not worship. Hebrews 11 verse 16 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If people do not want to believe that God is God, you're not going to be able to convince them of much else. Pharaoh would not accept the authority of a God. He did not worship. And it caused a problem for Moses because he was coming under the authority of God and he was speaking the words of God, but Pharaoh did not receive it. He did not accept it. We're going to be looking at some things that cause us to be on the stubborn side instead of the steady side. Remember, this series is all about are we stubborn or are we steady in the things of God? Because there are some people who think they're steady in the things of God and are nothing more than stubborn. And there are other people who are steady for the things of God and people call them stubborn. We can't tell the difference. But there are some indications from the Word of God that help us to easily understand the difference between one who is stubborn and one who is steady. I was having a conversation with somebody about another conversation that I had with another person and in this conversation we got onto the Bible and we were talking about some things about end times now if you've all been around here for a little while you know that end times are something that I take a liking to I enjoy the study of end times I've studied it over and over and over I like end times I don't have to go back to my notes to talk to people about end times because I know it 
I was having this conversation with this person, and uh, I even forget all the details and the things we got into, but uh, they came away with it, and they talked to this other person, and they said, boy, is he ever stubborn. I said, man, I don't even know what we talked about that gave the impression that I was stubborn. But um, I said, well, when you're right, it isn't stubborn. (laughs) I said that. (laughs) When you're right, it's not stubborn. But when you're wrong, it's stubborn. So that's one of the differences right there. If you're right, it's not stubborn. Now, I could put up with a lot of people that are ignorant on the things of end times. But that doesn't mean make me wrong. There are some things that I'm not sure on. There are some things I am as, as, as set sure. I know this is how it's going to be. If you want to believe it, fine. If you don't, that's okay too. But I'm not changing. Why should I go to a wrong opinion to have, make you happy? There's a difference between being stubborn and being steady. If you don't know the difference, you'll be steady for the things of God and someone will call you stubborn and you'll release your hold on being steady. And you shouldn't do that. If you're right, you shouldn't change. Was Jesus ever wrong? No. no. I can't stand before you and say I was never wrong on stuff. In fact, even on end times, I was wrong for a while until I got right. Now I'm right. I don't want to go wrong again. <laughs> but I was wrong for a little while. I was, I was sure I was right, but I was wrong. <laughs> I was stuck. But the difference was I was willing to be taught. And that's one of our differences here. On the first area of looking at the differences between being stubborn and being steady is right here. It's in the area of authority. In the area of authority, you can tell whether or not you are stubborn or whether you are steady. I put this in your outline. Our relationship to authority will identify you as one who is steady or one who is stubborn. Our relationship to authority will identify you as one who is steady or one who is stubborn. Sometime back when we were first starting this series, we were sitting here in worship service. And as we were worshiping, God showed me some things in the authority issue that I haven't gotten to yet. I made a note in my notes and I still have to go back and find them. I know what they basically were, but uh, I've been meditating on it for a little while and I want to go back and get the actual notes that I have on that. And we'll bring that out here later on, but right now we're just identifying some of these things. But you can tell if a person is stubborn or a person is steady by the relationship they have to authority. If we resist the authorities God has placed in our life, we create stubbornness, hardness, and resistance in us. If we resist the authorities that God has placed in our life, we create on the inside of ourselves stubbornness, hardness, and resistance. Pharaoh, when Moses came and said, God has said, his voice was, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? If you have an attitude towards authority, who are you and why should I listen to you? You will become stubborn, not steady. Relationship to authority is the first area. Verse 4, Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, 
Why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people in the land are now, are now, are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before, but let them go and gather straw for themselves and you shall lay on them the quarter of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it for they are idle. Therefore, they cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. There's a lot of times people want to take the word of God that you have come to know, come to believe in, and call it false because first off, they don't respect the authority and they want to shake you up. Don't let them. And the taskmaster of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people scattered, were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. The taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your, quote, your daily quota, as when there was straw. So Pharaoh decides to increase the workload the same day that Moses comes in and makes this statement. Thus, he doesn't waste any time. He comes at it right away. Now, the guy who is Pharaoh here, I could give you the whole discourse of you know who the Pharaoh was before and who the Pharaoh was after. But this particular Pharaoh was the guy who usurped the throne for a, a year or two. He usurped the, the throne and he had this for a little while. He was, um, well, we don't have to get into all of his history, but he's a very short-lived Pharaoh. Does not hang around for very, very long. And he's also very quick-tempered. Now, of course, when you get wiped out of the entire army going after a bunch of slaves, people probably don't want to keep you around a whole lot. And he usurped the throne, but he was removed. And the son who was supposed to be on the throne was put into place after that. Now, it says here they gave him stubble instead of straw. I'm told that they were given chopped straw or taben, as it's called. So they're now gathering the longer stalks, but they had to chop to make them into Taben, in order to make it into the stuff that they could make the bricks out of. So there's, there was pressure from Pharaoh to change their view on their supplier. Right now, who's been supplying the straw? They've been supplying it. And he says, we're not going to supply it anymore. You have to go out and supply it yourselves. And it became tough. Now, you'll see some of the reasons why we got into some of those areas before. When he asked them to make the same quota of bricks as he did before without having the supply of straw or taven, what kind of a request is it? Would you not classify that as an unreasonable request? Would you not classify as the situation that they're in as being one that is impossible? And don't think Pharaoh didn't know it. But what it, how do the children of Israel view this task? As impossible. We told you before, if you view an impossible task as impossible, it will always be impossible to you. If you view a task as possible, even though it seems to be impossible, it will become possible. Now, who's the supplier of Israel supposed to be? God the Father. They've kind of shifted and they look at Egypt as their supplier. 
And now Egypt is cutting them off. And here's the second test. Here's the second thing that you can use to find out. Am I stubborn? Or am I steady? Our generosity with supply will identify you as one who is steady or one who is stubborn. Our generosity with supply. See, in this, this second area, we're looking at the supply area. First, we looked at authority. Then we looked at supply. When people come and mess with your supply, it can challenge you. Also, how you are with your supply, how generous you are with the supply that you have will tell you whether you are stubborn or whether you are steady. If you are generous with the supply that you have, you are probably not stubborn. If you are stingy with the supply that you have, you are more than likely stubborn and not steady. If we see God as a supply, as our supplier, it is easier to be generous. When we don't see God as our supplier, we feel like either we are the supplier or our work is the supplier or different things are our supplier, then we become very conservative in what we give away, what we're going to give. Resisting generosity will create stubbornness, will create hardness, will create resistance in you. If you resist being generous. Now look at it this way. How many have ever felt a tugging in on the inside of you? God saying, I want you to give such and such to such and such. I want you to give an amount of money to an individual. I want you to give an amount of money to an organization. I want you to uh, give a thing to somebody. Whatever it might be, it comes up on the inside of you. I want you to give such and such to this particular place. And when that comes up, if you resist it, what are you creating on the inside of yourself? Hardness. Well, it's not that I don't want to do it. It's just that I don't feel like that I can. How many times have we said that? Well, God, if I could do that, I would. But you know, I can't. Oh, folks. This is why we have stubbornness instead of steadiness with the things of God. God is saying, I want you to do this. And it looks like it is impossible. And as long as I view it as impossible, I'm not going to get beyond where I'm at. I have to be able to say, you know what, God, I don't know how I'm going to do that. But you know what, I'm going to do it. You told me to give such and such to such and such, and such then I'm going to go ahead and do it. I don't know what this means from here on out. I don't know what this means next. I don't know how this is going to happen after this, but I trust you. But if we resist that, we create on the inside of us a wrong heart. Resisting generosity would create stubbornness, hardness, and resistance in you. Again, I'll tell you this deal. Our generosity with supply will identify you as one who is steady or one who is stubborn. Let's go on to verse 14. Also, the officers of the children of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmaster has, had sent over them were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants and they say to us, Make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work for no straw shall be given you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. 
after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, Moses and Aaron, what are they to Israel? They are the leaders that God raised up. And what is their attitude toward them? They are resistant. They are not submissive. So what kind of an attitude are they fostering on the inside of them? Stubbornness. Hard-heartedness. What was the characteristic that Israel continually had while they wandered in the wilderness? Stubbornness, hard-heartedness, lack of faith. Can you see? comes right out. As soon as something doesn't go their way, they come against their leaders as well. Why have you done this to us? They all liked us before. Now they don't like us anymore. Yeah, right. They liked you. (laughs) This attack on the leaders. Now, as soon as they attack the leaders, there's lots of finger pointing going on. Lots of finger pointing. The uh, leaders begin to point their fingers at the people who brought the supply of straw. Well, they're not doing this. Well, your guys aren't doing this anymore. The fault is with your own people. It's not with us. It's with your own people. I'll tell you this, this isn't down in your notes on this, but this is so true. Stubborn people easily see the fault of others and not the fault of themselves. Stubborn people easily see how other people can make their life easier, better. Why their life is not fulfilled because of other people. That's what stubborn people do. Steady people. What do they do? They buck up and they get going. And that's what we need to do. We need to stop trying to find excuses for things. Stubborn people hide behind excuses. Get out from underneath the excuses. But you don't know. Get out from underneath the excuses. As long as you hang on to excuses for why the impossible can't be done. Guess what? You will foster a stubborn heart, a hard heart, resistance to the things of God. And you'll never embark on the impossible. You'll never make it possible. You never change what you are in. You got to get out of that. You got to stop finger pointing. The only thing that you can change in this world is you. And if you continually open yourself up to the thought that, well, as long as other people do this, as long as somebody else, as long as my boss does this, or as long as it, no. Look at yourself. What is it that I need to do? You look at the people that are movers and shakers and get things done, what do they do? What do I need to do? How can I make this better? And they, they don't hide behind excuses. I remember, um, I'm not a big golf fan. You all probably know that. I really don't watch it at all, and I don't tune in, period, unless, you know, Tiger Woods is doing something. I'm not a golf fan, but I am a Tiger Woods. I love watching him play golf. And then, of course, he had this whole thing going on with the family and stuff like that, and he kind of just tapered on off. But I remember one of the last, champ- one of the big, last big championships he won. He won with a bad knee. He had a knee that needed surgery. And... He, most people probably would have dropped out of that golf match. I forget which match it was. I forget when it was, when it was. And 
uh, people that are golfers probably could tell you right off the top of their head which one it was. But I remember as soon as he was done, and he, not, he went through the whole match, never said a word about it. Didn't let anybody know about it. Didn't point to it. If he would have not won that, he wouldn't have pointed to that and said that that was the reason for it. In fact, he got into a runoff. Had to play an extra, it was an extra day of golf because he was tied with the other leader and he's on this bad knee and they had to play a whole nother round and he won it. On a bad knee that needed surgery. So that's the guy who's not looking around to point fingers. Well, if this hadn't happened, well, if this hadn't gone on, stop trying to point fingers. Israel is pointing fingers. It's Aaron and Moses' fault. You guys hadn't shown up. It's your servant's fault. They would give us stuff. You see, God is in the, in the business of taking you out of bad situations and moving you into good ones. In order for that to happen, some things have to change. Some things have to be shaken loose. Some, some things have to be released from your life. And if you're not releasing them on your own, then he comes over and he helps you by shaking the tree. Let's shake you up a little bit. And they're resistant to this. I put this in your outline. Is your life stable enough to handle the blame? Stable people don't mind taking the blame, even for things that are not their fault. Stubborn people blame others for things that are their fault. It's a real easy test. Verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, (laughs) what's he going to do? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? What's he doing? Pointing the finger, blaming other people. It's not my fault. (laughs) It must be God's fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I just did what he said. And look at all this bad stuff that's happened. God has got to be your fault. Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? It's not working. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. (laughs) It is real easy for stubborn people to see where other people have come short. It is real easy for stubborn people to find out how other people haven't measured up. It's easy. It's hard. Put this back on yourself. And that's what we got to do. Stay with me on this. Don't get all upset and leave it yet. This is the last time we see Moses do this. From this point on, you won't see Moses point the finger at anyone else. When there's problems, he, he takes blame for stuff. He, he repents to God, says, Oh, Father God, don't wipe them out. <laughs> Doesn't do that. Moses changes drastically after this. This experience changed Moses. Let the bad experiences you have that have fostered stubbornness in you, change you. Because Moses went from being a stubborn person to being a steady person. Moses was stubborn. Why was he stubborn? Because he was wrong. Right people aren't stubborn. Only wrong people are. Because once again, if you're right, it's not stubborn. Right? Have you ever tried to unscrew a bolt? How many of you ever, you know, you're thinking about this and you're always having to imagine. Is it this way or is it this way? Because we're not sure, right? <laughs> do I turn this way or do I turn this way to get it off? I don't remember. Well, I'll try it this way for a little bit. And you go and you go and you're always thinking, am I making it looser or am I making it tighter? So I don't know. 
Not exactly sure which way that it goes. And you know, you always remember righty, righty, tidy, lefty, loosey. But then you're thinking, well, which way is right on that? I mean, <laughs> and you could think counterclockwise and clockwise, and that surely identifies which way you're supposed to go in the, in the thing. But, you know, which way to, is counterclockwise? Is that to get it off? Is that to put it back on again? And we're not quite sure. And so you're tentative when you go after this thing. And you're not, am I tightening it? Am I loosening it? But when you have the assurance, this is the direction that you go. It's a whole lot better. I don't know if they change this, but how many have ever, how many have a ratchet set at home? I have a ratchet set. I mean, it's old. It's an old ratchet set. And um, I don't know if they changed any of this up. And maybe somebody, maybe uh, helped out people with some of the new ratchet sets. But I know in my old ratchet set, it has a little switch. And one way is to tighten, and one way is to loose. But it doesn't label which way is tight and which way is loose. It just has the switch. It's like having a light switch but not on and off. It's just a switch. This is there. And you're supposed to figure it out. So a lot of times, you know, you flip it this way. No, that's not it. And you flip the other way. Now, I've tightened enough bolts that I can do it in my sleep. I know exactly which way tighten is, and I know which way is, is, is wrong. And so, you know, I, I can stay on the thing. I know this is the way to make this thing loose. And you can stay with that. But if you're not sure, and you pick away, you could be making that thing tighter and tighter and tighter. It's not working. Moses got himself to the place where he was able to handle the blame of things. He wasn't here. But things did not get easier for Israel from this point on. And Moses never pushes the blame off on anyone else. Look at the words that God has for Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he, meaning Pharaoh, will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I... And the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them, or Jehovah. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they are, or which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So this is what he says. You tell Israel, this is what I'm going to do. I've heard all your groanings. I've heard your complaining. I've seen the bondage that you've been in. And I'm bringing you out. I'm going to take you over to this land. It's going to be a good land. This is what I'm doing for you. And Moses hears all that. Look what Moses says in verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. When you have this stubborn mentality, the stubbornness on the inside of you. You are not studying the things of God, but you are stubborn. When God speaks words of encouragement, they will bounce right off. You will become like Superman is to bullets. 
What happens to a bullet that fires, gets fired at Superman? It bounces. It bounces right off. Has no effect on him. He is the man of steel. steel. And if you fire a bullet at him, he just laughs at you. And he just keeps on walking. And the bullets, you remember seeing the movies and the things, and the bullets are flying, and he's not affected by them at all. Because he's the man of steel. But if you foster this stubbornness on the inside of you, you become steel to the words of God. And God will speak words of encouragement and you will not hear it. Look at what Israel says again. So Moses spoke thus. He spoke all those words to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. The reason they didn't hear him is why? Anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They didn't heed him. They didn't heed. Put in your outline this this way. But they would not heed because of what was happening to them. When you get into this area of stubbornness because of the things that are happening to you, you will not heed the voice of God. You will not heed the Word of God. You can have the greatest teacher in the world drop down on the inside of you, right in front of you, and preach the Word of God to you, and it'll bounce off. You'll come out of there with nothing. You want a modern, more modern-day example? Go over to the days of Jesus. Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived on the face of the earth. He was the best. And what happened when the Pharisees sat in His presence? They became men of steel, and the Word of God bounced off of them. What happened when the Sadducees were in His presence? The Word of God bounced off of them, and they didn't hear it. You don't want to become this way. They could not hear because of what was happening to them. Now, put it in your, in your place. How many of you have had a failure in a particular area of your life that the Word of God has promised you something different than what is going on? Ever had that? The Word of God promised you this. The Word of God promised you blessing. The Word of God promised you healing. The Word of God promised you things. But it's not happening in your life. Because of what is happening to you, when God speaks words to encourage you, what happens to it? Bounces off. When Abraham was given the promise of God, I will make you father of many nations. And when he came to reconfirm that, what is the first words that came out of Abraham's or Abram at that time? What's the first words that came out of his mouth? How... Shall I be blessed? How shall I be when I have no children? Because of what was happening to him, God himself showed up and spoke things to Abraham and he resisted them. Isn't that amazing? You go over into the New Testament again when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. How did the disciples receive that news? They were resistant to it, weren't they? Oh, that's a lie. Oh, that's a fable. Oh, you're not telling us the truth. He did not appear to you. When Jesus himself was stood in their presence, after they heard that he had risen, he stood in their presence. What did they say? It is a ghost. <laughs> They're still not believing it. If you foster this attitude of stubbornness, the word of God will be spoken to you and it'll bounce off as if nothing, have no effect on you at all. Because you are stubborn in the things of God. However, if you become steady in the things of God and words are spoken to you against the promise of God, you know what happens to you? 
You become steel to them and they just bounce off of you. They have no effect on you at all. Daniel would be given negative words. What happened to him? They bounced off of him. They had no effect on him at all, did they? Peter initially was affected by these things, but after he got filled with the Spirit, what happens to Peter in the New Testament? They say negative things and they bounce off of him. No, no effect at all. Paul, they bounce right off of him. He doesn't get affected by them at all. That's how we need to be. But too often we have been hard to the things of God and not to the things of the world. Stubbornness makes you open to the things of the world. Steadiness makes you open to the things of God. Stubbornness makes you closed to the things of God. Steadiness makes you closed to the things of the world. Here's this one. This one we call focus. Our focus in turmoil will identify you as one who is steady or one who is stubborn. Your focus when things are going bad. Your focus in turmoil. Your focus when the storm is at your doorstep. Your focus in those situations will identify you as one who is steady or one who is stubborn. If the world starts to seem to fall apart around you, do you give in to the things of the world or do you resist them? Do you give in to the things of God or do you resist it? It'll tell you right there which, which category you're in. Tell you right, right off the bat. I think I've told you this story before, but Abraham Lincoln was uh, with a very stubborn disputer and they just couldn't seem to get to a place of agreement on this. And so he, Abraham Lincoln said to him, he said, well, let's see, how many legs does a cow have? And the man said immediately, four. And Abraham Lincoln said, all right, well, if you called the tail a leg, how many legs does he have now? And the man came back right away. He said, five. He said, that's false. I don't care what you call a tail. It's not a leg. <laughs> right? You see, if you open yourself up to the things of the world, the world can call a tail a leg and you'll buy it because you haven't held on to the truth of God's word. Don't do it. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so they have to go on before him. Now Moses, he still has this. He hasn't quite shaken it yet. He's going to. But when he gets out of this, this episode, he will never come back on this again. He's saying, the children of Israel, the followers of God don't listen to me. Why would Pharaoh? Why should I go back and talk to Pharaoh? The children of Israel didn't listen to me. Here's our fourth one that we get from this story. Fourth one is boldness. Moses is hesitant to deliver the word of God. He is hesitant to do it. Stubborn people can be bold. Steady people can be bold as well. How many have ever found somebody who is stubborn, who is very bold? All right. Here's how you use this as an identifier. Boldness born of God is motivated by the love of God and the love of people. Boldness that is born of God is motivated by the love of God and the love of people. Go back over to Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is likened to it. 
that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two commands hang the whole law. When you are bold, born of God, you will be bold because of love of God or love of people. Boldness born of the world is molded by the love of self and the love of things. It's real easy to tell it. Boldness in the world is love of self and love of things. Boldness born of God is motivated by the love of God and the love of people. Simply identify what is the object being loved that creates this boldness. Our motivation and boldness will identify you as one who is steady or one who is stubborn. What is the motivation that you have for the boldness? When you get bold, how many of y'all know we all get bold at some time? Maybe we're not bold all the time, but at some time, something makes us bold, something makes us stand up and declare something, right? What is it that makes you bold? Think back over the things. Is it, are you bold when your employer gypped you with some money? Does that make you bold? What's your motivation? There's a, a lack of boldness is also identifying. If you have no boldness at all, not bold for anything. Understand this, you are not studying the things of God. If you are studying the things of God, you will be bold for the things of God. You will be bold by those things that are motivated by the love of God. You will be bold for the things that are motivated for the love of others. You will be. If you're steady, if you don't have any boldness at all, guess what category you fall in. So we have four areas to identify if you are steady. I couldn't repeat these and write these uh, again for you all concise. So you have to do this on your own or just go back and get them. But first off, our relationship to authority. Our generosity with supply. Our focus in turmoil. And our motivation in boldness. These are four areas. They're not the only four areas, but these are four areas that will help you identify, am I steady or am I stubborn? Look at your relationship to your authorities in your life. Look at the generosity with the supply that you have. Look at the focus in the turmoil that, you, that goes on around you. Look at the motivation for the things that make you bold. You can very easily, from those four things, identify, am I steady in the things of God or am I stubborn? If you are stubborn, you'd better change it because you are resisting the words of God that are spoken to you for the purpose of of growing you, motivating you, developing you. You've got to get out of that. Otherwise, you're going to be like the children of Israel, wandering around for all those years, failing all the tests, and not going into the promised land. Don't, don't go that way. A person who is stubborn will always see the fault of other people and shift blame from it, or shift blame to it from their own. You do not need to walk this way. Now, I was thinking, I was concentrating or focusing on this thing, kind of meditating on it, says, God, does a stubborn stubbornness cause these things in our life? That was my question. Does stubbornness cause these things in our life? Because the answer to that kind of changes the way that we're going to go about fixing this problem. So I was brought to the example of a car. How many of y'all have a car that lasted a good long time? How many of you ever had a car that didn't last very long at all? Now, if you didn't own that car from the beginning, this may not apply to you. But if you own that car from the beginning, it can change some things. I, I, came in, I don't know where I came into this knowledge, but I came into this knowledge a, a long time ago. Somehow, someone had t- told me, and I received it, and they said, 
If you buy a car brand new and treat it right for that first 10,000 miles, it'll last you a whole lot longer. That first 10,000 miles of a car's life are the most critical of any in the life of the car. And so I didn't just take that. I said, all right, well, what kind of things are you supposed to do to a car in the first 10,000 miles to make sure that it worked? And I studied that out and I found out what you're supposed to do to make that car last longer in the first 10,000 miles. There's some things that you would not normally do. And if you do it from 10,000 to 20,000, it won't have the same effect. It had to be in the first 10,000 miles while you were driving. Some things within the first 3,000. One of those things was someone told me, and most people probably don't know this or do this, you should, how many have ever bought a brand new car and maybe it had 50 miles on it? You should change that oil in that car before you reach 1,000. If you do not, if you miss that one oil change, you have reduced the life of your car by a substantial amount. The reason for it was simple. When a car is new, there's a lot of brittle metal in the engine. A lot of pieces that'll break off. And when you are first going around, those pieces break off and are floating around in your oil. If you drain that car of all oil in the first 1,000 miles and put it in with new, even though the oil is perfectly fine otherwise, you've extended the life of your car. So you know what I did? I changed it about 850 to 900. <laughs> I was going to make sure I'm inside that 1,000. And I changed the oil in that car. And I found out some things about what you're supposed to do with the transmission when you had it in the beginning. And I found out some, and I began to do these things. And I'll tell you what, I found an effect. It had a great effect upon my cars. Now, if you bought a used car and you don't know what they did in the first 10,000 miles, I'm, you just, you know, pray over it and get the right one and <laughs> do, the, do the right things from that point on, I guess. I, I don't know. But see, I heard that and I received that and I got some good use out of that knowledge. But I had to take that and put that knowledge to work. I had to do something with it. You got you to gotta do it right. I say that to say this. If you maintain your spiritual life correctly, you won't have the problems with it that you have otherwise. The same way that your maintenance on your car affects the life, affects the life of your engine. The maintenance you do on your spirit, man, affects your spiritual life. And so when I went back over and I looked at some of these things, these are maintenance items. If I maintain my relationship with authority... I'm performing maintenance on my spirit. If I perform maintenance on my generosity with my supply, I'm doing things to continue my spiritual development. If I keep my focus on the things of the Word of God, my focus on faith, my things focus on the promises of God, when I am in storms, when I am in turmoil, I'm maintaining my spiritual life. When I watch my motivation and boldness and make sure that I am bold for the things that I should be bold for, not timid, I am maintaining my spiritual life. If you do the proper maintenance, it changes how your spirit performs. But you've got to do some maintenance on it. Now, you know, some of the maintenance on a car, you change the oil. When I first started getting into cars, changing oil was done every 3,000 miles. Now they have the newer cars, the newer oils, I guess, they use. And I think all oil now has some kind of uh, synthetic parts to it. And so they're telling you five to 7,000. Some will tell you 
10,000 miles to change your oil. My, my truck has a gauge on it and it tells me, by the way that I drive, the percentage that I've used in my oil. You know what though? I still go old school. I change my oil every 3,000 miles. My, my car, my truck is telling me, you've got 50, 57% life of the oil left in your oil. And I pull up and change the oil. I, I, they may be saying this, this new stuff, you know, changing every five to 7,000 miles, stuff like that. I just, I haven't bought into it yet. I'm still over in that other, other spot. I guess it's, it's better to over maintain maybe than under maintain. But maintain it. When you have an authority that is in your life, what is your relationship like with it? What kind of words come out of your mouth? What kind of attitudes come up in your heart? When your boss says certain things to you, uns- how many of you have an unsaved boss? Glory to God for unsaved bosses. Because unsaved bosses, they give us opportunity to work with us, don't they? Because they say some things, they do some things. And see, my relationship to authority, well, that's not authority that's not in God. Uh-uh. Daniel had an unsaved boss. Nebuchadnezzar was unsaved. Eventually got saved. Belshazzar, or I'm sorry, um, uh, his other, the other king that came up after Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. He was, uh, he was unsaved. He's the one who brought all the stuff out from the temple for their party. Daniel served unto him. Daniel was always respectful to authority. He had proper attitudes towards authority. Didn't always like them. But he operated in a, in a consistent way with the authorities that he had. The men of God would speak the truth about the authority. Elijah got out there and he spoke the truth about the Ahab. But he always acted in a respectful way. Even Paul, when he spoke against the high priest, called him a whitewashed tomb. The high priest instructed Paul to be slapped. And the person slapped Paul. And Paul said, I'm sorry, I did not realize that was the high priest. Can you imagine being the high priest and now you didn't realize you were the high priest? Boy, how, how much have you been acting? Your relationship to authority. What are the authorities in your life? Bosses are one of them. Parents with children, that's another one. Those little kids grow up. How many of you have been in a super, supermarket and you see the little, little seven-year-old boy running around causing all kinds of havoc and mama sitting there? Now, Junior, you better stop that or you get home. What develops inside of that little child? Stubbornness, a hardness, a resistance. What happens to those children that are seven years old and they respond to authority by saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What happens? Is there a difference in the hard attitude? Why? Because you maintain it. Because you maintain it. Keeping things greased up, going good, it's important. Our generosity with supply. When you have stuff and God says, give this to so-and-so. And I resist it. What am I doing? I'm maintaining my attitude towards the world, my sensitivity to the things of the world. I'm not maintaining my attitude, my sensitivity to the things of God. I need to be generous with the supply that I have. Because what I have, God can give me more of. But we don't want to get cut off from God. Focus and turmoil. Anybody been through a tough week? Things are falling apart. Things are not going so well. Surprises. 
turmoil comes up, where's our focus? When those things come up, remember how James said, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know what he's saying? You're given a maintenance opportunity. You can perform maintenance on your spirit. Get it right. Focus and turmoil. Motivation and boldness. Be bold for the things of God. Speak up for the things of God. These are things you can just do maintenance on. If you do the contrary maintenance, you are maintaining your sensitivity to the things of the world. And what the problem comes in with that is that when you get something from the world, you think it's God. And you hold to it and you'll be viewed by God as being stubborn because you're wrong. If you were right, you wouldn't be stubborn. But you're wrong. So you're stubborn. Maintain what it is that God has given you. Maintain it. There's all kinds of opportunities. Stop pointing the fingers. Stop blaming other people. If you got a task, it was tough, and you didn't quite get it done, don't sit there and figure out who all let you down and who all didn't do something. Get out. What could I have done better? How could I have made this work? How could I have... That's all you need to look at. What could I... Father God, what could I have done? How could I have made this better? What Moses should have done when it didn't work with Pharaoh? God, I did what you said. If I did it wrong, you tell me. But otherwise, what's next? What else you want me to do? You know what Israel should have done when the Egyptians stopped holding the straw? You know, we missed something here. We missed a huge miracle that could have happened here because of Israel's attitude. What would have happened in this story if Israel, when the straw was cut off, would have gone to God and said, Father God, glory be to your name. We give you glory. We thank you for this opportunity to be delivered. But they have cut off our supply of straw and demanded that we make the same number of bricks. Now, we call upon you. You help us to come and complete this task. Oh, God wouldn't have done that. That's an impossible task. Isn't entering a fiery furnace and coming out alive an impossible task? Isn't entering into a lion's den and coming out alive the next day? Isn't that an impossible task? Isn't taking on the army of the Midianites with 200 people an impossible task? Isn't getting a leper to get clean by dipping into Jordan seven times an impossible task? Isn't feeding 5,000 men, their wives and their kids with seven loaves and two small fishes, an impossible task? Isn't feeding two to four million people in the wilderness where there is no food an impossible task? Didn't God come through on those? Isn't wiping out the Egyptian army that would pursue the Israelites an impossible task? Why is this one so much harder? What would have happened if Israel would have done this? And then all of a sudden, straw miraculously appears or somehow comes about or God says that little bit of straw you got put it in the bin in the nighttime and in the morning it'll be full and if every Israelite took the little bit of straw they had put it into a bin at nighttime and when they came out the next day they had all the straw they needed and the Egyptians are saying I don't know what happened we're not giving them a straw and they're making the same amount of bricks they would have been scared but they missed that opportunity because they were stubborn They resisted the things of God. Don't be stubborn. Don't resist the things of God. Look at what is impossible as possible. The world may tell us it's impossible, but the Word of God tells us that to God, 
all things are possible to him that believes. To him that believes. But you've got to do some maintenance. You want your car to work every day? You've got to do some maintenance to it. If you hear a noise, you don't ignore it. You say, let's find out what that noise is. Let's get that noise fixed. We don't like a noise. We're like the nice sound of a smooth engine. Glory to God. What is in your path? What is God trying to do? How is God working through you right now? How are you doing in those four areas? When you look at those four areas, does one, two, three, or four of them place you as being stubborn? Guess what? Do some maintenance in that area. You'll find out your stubbornness will begin to go. We're going to look more into these things, some other uh, aspects. We're going to dive into each one of these things a little bit more. It's imperative that we understand how to get out of being stubborn and get over to being steady. Being steady. That's what God's called us to do. God said, when the storm comes, you will be like the man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storm comes, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt him. It doesn't hurt him. But the one who built it upon the sand, it's washed away. Let's be those that are steady in the storms. When you go out and you see the damage that is done from a hurricane that came on through or a tornado and you see destruction everywhere and then all of a sudden your eye is drawn to a house that is standing, that is in perfect shape. You leave all the destruction and you look at the house that is standing. Why is that house standing? When the world sees us go through the storms and come out standing, it'll look at us and say, why are you still standing? What's going on with you? Oh, we got an opportunity then. Would you all stand up with me? As we pray this morning, we have a note that Ron lost eight pounds this week. He's going through some more treatment here in this week. He's down to 147. We can speak to that body, be gaining the weight that it needs to gain. To have that weight, hold on to it, and for strength to come into that body. As we believe, so it can be. We need to be in a place where we believe the impossible is possible. All you folks, a couple weeks ago, we went through some of the situations. Y'all were going through some, some tough things. See what is impossible as possible. And then you begin to picture in yourself, Father God, how is what... Is impossible going to be possible. Like the woman with the issue of blood. Has it been possible that I've been healed? But if I just do this, this will happen. Father, we stand before you believing in your word. We want to do the proper maintenance on our spirit. We want to make sure that we have the right attitude towards the authorities that are in our life. The right thoughts. The right words. We want to make sure that we have the right focus when we are in times of turmoil. We want to make sure we have the right generosity with the supply that we have. We want to make sure that we are motivated have the proper motivation in our boldness. We're not just bold for the things that do us good. We are bold for the things of God. If we do this maintenance, we'll find out that our spirit is ready to receive. It's not hardened the Word of God's not bouncing off of it. When we hear it, we receive it. And we take it right in. Because we've done the maintenance. We've done the work that needs to be done. 
Thank you for the help that you give us in this. As we go out this week, we encounter some of these problems, we encounter some of these issues. You remind us, do the maintenance, do the maintenance, maintain your spirit, maintain that attitude, maintain that steadiness. Don't become stubborn. Don't foster that. Be steady for the things of God. And we can do it. We can maintain it. We can change the way that it is. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.